This is the part where the students are like, yay, we're going to get to the plagues. And then everybody dies and they're like, oh, that was kind of depressing. <laughs> Verse 14. Yahweh said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard and he refuses to release the people. Go to Pharaoh in the morning and when he goes out to the water, position yourself to meet him by the edge of the Nile. So you're going to be that annoying guy who's going to get in his way as he's trying to get to work. Take in your hand the staff that turned into a snake and tell him, Yahweh the God of the Hebrews has sent me to you to say, release my people that they may serve me in the desert. But until now you have not listened. Thus says Yahweh, by this you will know that I am Yahweh. I'm going to strike the water of the Nile with the staff that is in my hand and it will be turned into blood. Fish in the Nile will die and the Nile will stink and the Egyptians will be unable to drink the water from the Nile. And Yahweh said to Moses, Tell Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over Egypt's waters, over their rivers, over their canals, over their ponds, and over their reservoirs, so that it becomes like blood. There will be blood everywhere in the land of Egypt, even in the wooden and stone containers. Moses and Aaron did so, just as Yahweh had commanded. And Moses raised the staff and struck the water that was in the Nile before the eyes of Pharaoh and his servants. And all the water that was in the Nile was turned into blood. And when the fish that were in the Nile died, the Nile began to stink, so the Egyptians could not drink the water from the Nile, and there was blood everywhere in the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same thing by their secret arts, and so Pharaoh's heart remained hard, and he refused to listen to Moses and Aaron, just as Yahweh had predicted. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not pay any attention to this. And all the Egyptians dug around the Nile for water to drink, because they could not drink the water of the Nile. Now, we know this will last for seven days. When we get to chapter 12, God is going to make it very clear that all the plagues are direct attacks against the gods of Egypt. And that the 10th plague is an attack against all the gods put together. So you need to understand that God is just not willy-nilly pulling out judgments out of his hat and saying, oh, watch this one. Like, what can some middle school kid come up with to torture animals with? Okay, that's not what he's doing here. There's a pattern to what he's doing. The ultimate goal is to get the Egyptians to relinquish their false gods. One of the most important things in all of Egypt is the Nile. We talked about this a little bit last week. The Nile was considered the lifeblood of Egypt. There are more poems and songs written to the Nile than any other topic in all of Egypt. It was a very big focus. Without the Nile, there is no life. Now, you have to understand how, how important the Nile is. The Nile is the only source of water that flows all the way up through Africa to the Delta Nile where it opens up in the Mediterranean. If you've ever been to Egypt, it is desert. Okay? When I went to Egypt, the Nile literally supplies water to fertilize the soil so it can grow crops eight miles to the west of the Nile and eight miles to the east of the Nile. So there's only 16 miles of life. You can literally go to the, that outskirts and put one sand in the grassy, fertile soil and put the other foot in the, the desert. That's how drastically the Nile just kind of just stops extending. It is that distinct. If you've ever seen postcards of the, the pyramids, they always had their back to Cairo. The pyramids are literally built right on the edge of Cairo. If you go to the other side of the pyramids and look back, it's just this city. 
and the city is literally built up and then it just stops because that's where the life of the Nile ends and nothing is built beyond that. Even with our modern day technology in cities and irrigations, they still cannot go much further into the desert. You need to understand that because the Nile is the absolute and only source of life in Egypt. And this is what God is attacking. The Nile, remember, they're nature gods. So they worship all these things in nature as if it is a god. The thing that you see in nature is the body of the god, and the god source spirit lives inside that natural thing, just like we view our soul living inside of our body. You can't see the soul, but you can see the body. So you can't see Ra, but you can see his body, which is the sun. So this is how literally they take. That Nile literally is the body of a god. And this god's name is Happy, H-A-P-I. That's just phonetic coincidence. Okay, Happy. Happy was always portrayed with a blue body in Egyptian art, and he was half man and half woman. He was androgynous, hermaphrodite. Okay, so he had both body parts. And he was considered the fertile nature of Egypt. The reason he was both male and female is he provides fertili all fertility. All fertility comes from him and only from him. He is the only source because the Nile is it. And so they literally believe that his body was a god and that when you were stepping into the Nile, you were stepping into the body of Happy. And so the reality is if Happy all of a sudden the Nile turns into blood and it's bleeding, that would be a very powerful visual that your god is dying and he ain't happy anymore. Okay, I had to do that pun for Buzz. So <laughs> the reality is this is their God dying right before their eyes. Not only that, their, their human natural desire need to survive. Their water source is cut off. And so this is attacking their ability to survive as well as killing their gods, so to speak. And so this would be an ultimate demonstration of authority over their God, that one of their most important, most powerful gods, as well as their ability to stay alive. But you may need to understand, too, that it may not necessarily literally have been blood. The word blood in the Hebrew does not necessarily translate it as blood. It can mean the color of blood. The word actually implies more of the color of blood than it does actual blood. Now, I have no problem believing that it was turned to blood because God is God and he can do whatever he wants. But I also want you to know that if some history channel or something comes along and there's incredible evidence that that's not what happened, that doesn't threaten our faith. The reality is, is the point is not on the blood. The emphasis is never put on the fact that the Nile turned to blood. The emphasis is on the fact that Nile has been polluted and therefore cannot provide life anymore. That's the emphasis. Whether it's blood or some kind of poison or some kind of toxic algae, it doesn't matter. Because remember, that doesn't rob God of his supernatural power because all the other plagues are natural in themselves. That what makes it God is the predictiveness of it and the intensity of it and all those other things I talked about. So the emphasis is on the fact that Nile has been polluted, that there can be no more life. That's the emphasis. Whether it's blood or not is, doesn't really matter. Now, notice that the Egyptians are able to reproduce this too. Now, I always find this kind of interesting, like, ooh, wow, look how amazing you are. Like, how do you prove that you can do that too? 
Like, God has already turned all ponds and all reservoirs and all the Nile into blood, and they, like, get a bowl, and they pour it out, and it's blood. And they're like, yeah, wow, that's amazing. Like, where did you get fresh water? Not really anywhere. So that one could be trickery. But at the same time, you must understand what's very important here. They can't stop it. That is not directly mentioned until we get to the frogs. And it will be specifically stated that they could not stop the play. Look, nobody really cares whether somebody comes and shoots a gun and kills people and somebody else is like, I can do that too. Well, you really care what a true display of power is to stop the bullets that are killing everybody. And that's what they cannot do. They cannot stop the plague of the blood. And so don't get fooled and let the world, like history channels, like, well, they're able to do it too. There you go. But they can't stop it. They can't stop it. That's important. Who cares if they bring more death? The question is, can you stop death? That's the true question. And so they're able to duplicate it in that sense as well, but they can't stop it. So that brings us to the second plague. The second plague is the frogs. Now, the frogs were worshipped as a god as well. And the god that they worshipped was Heket. H-E-Q-T. Heket. H-E-Q-T. You don't have to have a U after Q in Egyptian. So this was a female goddess with the body of a woman and the head of a frog. Okay, so it's like a whole different version of the prince and the frog, or the princess and the frog. They're both in the same. The frog was considered an incredible image of blessing because frogs require a very healthy, balanced ecosystem in order to be fruitful. Frogs were like their version of multiplying like rabbits, okay? So the more frogs you have, the more healthy your ecosystem is, and usually after the rains come and bring the Nile, and the Nile's ready to flood and start bringing life, one of the first signs that you had enough rain and that you're going to have a good crop this year is the abundance of frogs that start coming. And so frogs are seen as a symbol of fertile, a symbol of blessing, a symbol of ma'at is exactly where it needs to be. Now, Ma'at is seriously out of balance when God multiplies them to the point that they're everywhere. Psalms tells us that they filled the beds. And I mean, you see that in the movies of the Ten Commandments and stuff, but that actually doesn't come from Exodus. It comes from the Psalms. And we're told that they were everywhere in everybody's bed and they're at the floor, everywhere. That's not a symbol of blessing anymore. It becomes annoyance. Now, here's what you must understand. The frog was so worshipped as a divine god that even if you accidentally killed a frog, it was punishable by death. You got the death penalty for killing a frog. Now, you know if your frogs are everywhere, it's going to be very hard to step and walk without killing them, which means now there are most of them, if not all, are going to be guilty of the death penalty under their own Egyptian law, which gives God every more right to then kill them in the later plagues. And so God is attacking. He's making their idea of fertility and blessing an annoyance and a curse. He's controlling this all. So that brings us to the third plague, the gnats. Now the gnats, we're told that the soil, the dust of the earth, comes up in the air and turns into gnats and begins to cover Egypt. Now these aren't gnats. 
in the American sense. These aren't like when you're walking, taking a walk with your spouse or a friend, and it's like right at evening or dusk, and you're walking the sidewalk, and you're like, and they just kind of get in your face, and after about two feet, you're kind of done, and you're good, and you'll, you turn back, and you just see this nice little swarm. These gnats were gnats that were very small, and when they bit you, they had the sting of a scorpion. And they loved going into crevices, underneath nails, into belly buttons, under the folds of skin, under your eyelids, and they would bite you. And it would sting like a scorpion. It wouldn't kill you, but it would be very painful and annoying. And if you're covered with these things, that's going to be a whole lot of pain. So now we've moved from annoyance to now. We're not told that anybody died from the Nile. only lasted for seven days. But now we're moving to pain. Nobody really is going to die of this, but it is going to be painful. Now this would have been a direct attack against their god, Geb. G-E-B. G-E-B. Geb was one of the first gods ever. See, Ray was the first god who brought himself into existence. And then he had, well, he had sex with himself and produced two gods, a male and a female, who were breath and heat. And then they had sex with each other, and they produced two gods by the name of Geb and Newt. And Geb was the earth god. He's portrayed as reclining on his back with trees growing up out of him, and he's the earth. And Newt, his sister slash wife, was the sky goddess arched over him. And you see this inside of all these temples in Egypt. The first thing you do is you walk into a tomb, sorry, a tomb, and you immediately turn around and look above the doorway, and you always see that mural of those two gods. These were the, this was the earth, and the land is blessing. Geb was the most, one of the other most worshipped gods because with the Nile, it brings life to the ground, which then grows things. Now, instead of producing crops and life, the dirt, Geb is bursting into gnats. He's no longer producing crops. He's producing gnats that are attacking you. So it's like going to your friend's house and your friend just burst into all these gnats. That would be horrifying. And yet this is what's happening to their god. And then it's turning on them and biting them. And so this would have been a direct attack against Geb as the provider of crops and sources and all that kind of stuff. Sound fun yet? So that brings us to chapter 8, verse 20. The fourth blow, the flies. Now, the flies are not, once again, your everyday normal house fly. See, once you leave America, it's like all the insects get horrifying. Spiders and snakes and scorpions and all that kind of stuff. In Egypt, the word fly, we don't know exactly what the word fly should be translated as, but scholars have think that it might be one of two. And we're pretty confident it's either one of these two, and there's nothing else. So based on the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, this is the dog fly. The dog fly, you guys know like deer fly? Deer flies are those flies that bite you, and then the horse fly is bigger. Well, the dog fly is like bigger than the horse fly on steroids. Okay, this thing was known to not just bite you, but like take flesh away. <laughs> and the swelling and the infection would happen. These flies are now swarming, okay, swarming. I know there's times I was lifeguarding at a lake, 
And just like having two or three horseflies swarming around you was just super annoying and painful as you're like dealing with these big giant welts. Imagine hundreds, thousands of these things swarming your body, biting you. This is painful. After you've already been stung, well, bitten by these gnats. This is painful. In fact, the Egyptians so abhorred the dog fly that the ancient people were weird. They believed that if they made an amulet of something and wore it around them, it would protect them from that thing. So sometimes, like, if they were afraid they would get a tumor, they would literally make a gold tumor and wear it around their neck as a ward of protection against the tumor. It's like, what about Bob? If you fake it, like heart attack and Tourette's, you won't get it. So if you wear that thing around you, you won't get it. These things were also known to carry diseases. Okay, they didn't fully understand how diseases and bacteria worked, but they knew that if you got bitten enough time and somebody got sick later, there was some kind of connection to it. And so they would sell these. You can even go to Egypt today, and they were selling amulets of flies and insects and stuff like that you could, like, dipped in amber and harden and that kind of stuff that you could wear around your neck. So it's like, you go to Egypt, and you brought me back a amber fly. The other possibility is it's the scarab beetle, also known as a dung beetle. You've probably seen scarabs just from Egyptian documentaries and that kind of stuff. It was a dung beetle. It literally gathers up poop and it forms into a ball and it pushes it back to a hole and then it lays its larva or eggs in the poop which becomes the nutrients for its little larva. When they hatch, they eat the poop for nutrients and they go out and they become scarabs and the circle of life keeps going. The scarab was one of the most worshipped things in Egypt because one of the first things that happened at creation is Ray brought himself into existence at the same time that a bin-bin was appearing and a bin-bin was a pyramid of land that appeared out of the chaos out of the watery abyss so the first thing that happens Ray is coming into existence the light and this bin-bin of land this pyramid is coming up out of the watery chaos and then Ray sits on top of the bin-bin and starts meditating the emptiness. So he, these are the first two things exist. So when the Egyptians saw the dung beetle, so basically you have a bin-bin with a circular sun sitting on top of it. And when they saw the dung beetle pushing the poop over the dunes, they were like, that's like raw on top of the bin-bin. And the scare beetle became worshipped as the incarnation of Ra or Ray. So they worshipped this thing. What's also interesting is that the trail that it left in the sand, it doesn't like go straight. It actually goes, it actually leaves in the sand, an Egyptian hieroglyphic for Ray. And so they worship this thing. You know that the devil had a fun one on that one. <laughs> they worship this thing as the incarnation of Ray. Now this thing had mandibles that are so sharp that it actually could saw through wood. But this would be like a whole bunch of kindergartners coming at you with scissors. See what your dreams are going to be like tonight <laughs> after all these things. Next week you have to report what your dreams are like after all we go through all these things. He's now taking the insects and turning against them. Now, this isn't just attack against the gods. This is also an attack against the priesthood. The priesthood were the ones who made you right with the gods. And what are you going to want right now? You're probably going to be making a whole bunch of sacrifices of the gods right now to try to stop these things. 
And the priests are obsessed with this. But the thing that you must understand is every single religion in the ancient world does not allow a priest to enter into a temple and make atonement or prayers for the sins of the people if they are physically defiled. And physical defilement includes cuts, bruises, sores. If your priests are covered in sores from the gnats and the dog flies, they can't go into the temple and they can't repent to the gods to protect them, which means they can't feed the gods, which means the gods are becoming weaker and they're not going to bless the people. And so not, God is not just attacking the gods, but he's just cut off their communication. And anybody in military will tell you one of the first things you do is cut off the enemy's communication. And that's what God is doing here. And so he has now made the, fair, the, the two most powerful, the three most powerful things in Egypt were the gods, Pharaoh, and the priests. And the gods are dying, the priests are impure, and Pharaoh is not bringing Ma'at. The land is being undone right before their eyes. So this brings us to chapter 9, verse 1, the fifth blow of the disease on domestic animals. This is domestic animals. This would be farm animals. So the cow and the goat and the sheep and um, the cat and the dog and all this kind of stuff would be dying. Now, this is a disease. Now, obviously, right here, this is affecting your crops or your, your livestock. And livestock is money, it's food, it's all that kind of stuff. But not just this. You have to realize that these are also some of the most worshipped animals. One of the most worshipped animals in all of Egypt was the bull, and specifically the apis bull, A-P-I-S, A-P-I-S, the apis bull. The apis bull was a symbol of Ra. And you need to understand this. This is the most worshipped animal. It had two horns, and it had a circular sun disk put between its two horns to represent Ra. So this was like the eye with the sun disk of Ra sitting on it. This is why the, Jew, the Israelites made a golden calf to worship in the wilderness, because they got it from Egypt, which shows you they took Egyptian imagery and they applied it to Yahweh which makes it even more gross because God just defeated this God right before their eyes and then they resurrect this God back up and begin to worship it. That's what makes that sin even more horrific in the light of it. You have to realize that this is end up going to become a very, very, very dominant image. It's going to go, the bull is going to become an image of strength and godhood that will go throughout all the ages of humankind. Even today, the bull is the image of Wall Street. Okay, this is a very powerful image that goes throughout Egypt. And you also see this symbol because you have the two horns like this raised up and like two branches going up with a sun disk going between it. Anybody know what the great enemy of Lord of the Rings looked like? The sun disk in the middle of two horns. Sauron. The bad, un, the faceless, dark force of the enemy is the symbol of the Apis Bowl. Yeah, basically. So even J.R.R. Tolkien brought that into his things. And so you had to realize that this is the image. They worship. Now, these bulls were so worshipped as the image of Ra and power and all the strength of Pharaoh in Egypt that they actually had like 23 or 26 points of perfection that a bull had to meet. And if it met it, they would bring the bull in and they built temples to these bulls. 
And servants dedicated their entire life to serving these things, and they would bring sacrifices and offerings to the bulls, and they would bring in as many female cows that it wanted to be with, and they basically dedicated their lives to serving these bulls and worshiping them and feeding them. When these bulls died, they mummified them and buried them in tombs that were equal to the tombs of the pharaohs. And some of the servants actually committed ritual suicide so that they could serve the bull in the afterlife. This is total ridiculous enslavement to false ideology, but it also shows you how worshipped these cows are and these bulls, and now they're all dying like that at the hands of God. This is really going to undermine your sense of power and strength in Egypt, that the thing that you're willing to die for is just massively dying here. Not only that, the mother of Ray was a cow. So when Bart Simpson says your mom is a cow, it's pretty much true of Pharaoh. He was, she was a cow. Her name was Hathor. And she's going to eventually be replayed by, replaced by Isis, or Isis. And so, not the terrorist group, the, the goddess. She is a cow. And she is seen as the body of a woman, the head of a cow, breastfeeding Ray and Horus and Pharaoh. She is the source of all life, and she's dying. She's the mother goddess in all of Egypt, the source of all life, and she's dying. This would be an attack against Anubis. Anubis was a god, a jackal, a jackal head, and the body of a man who was the guardian of the underworld. Right, so this would be an attack against Bast, B-A-A-S-T, as Bast was the body of a god, of a woman in the head of a cat who was to protect you from the, all the evils. This bass was what kept all the evils of hell and the underworld and all those demons and witches and all that kind of stuff from coming at you. All those things in your nightmares. And all these things are dying on a massive level. God is going after each one of their gods systematically. But here's what's so cool, because remember, they can only control one element, and yet God is killing all of them. So not only as they all die, he's showing his power over them all, but he's also showing that he masters all elements in creation, unlike their gods. 